Welcome to the Uncomfortably Human podcast, where we explore how our pains and discomforts can be used to drive self-awareness, positive change, and connection. I'm your host, Lori Alpert, and today's episode is about transformational leadership. How all those yucky feelings we typically try to avoid might just be the key to unlocking the leader that you were meant to be. My guest today believes leadership is not one-size-fits-all, and so he co-founded MindShift Leadership to focus on personal transformation in order to train you from the inside out. He's a graduate of the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and Associate Certified Coach by the International Coaching Federation. He uses the neurosciences, performance psychology, mindfulness training, and transformational leadership principles to help people lead better by thinking better. He is a TEDx speaker on self-compassion. He was featured in Dr. Mark Hyman's Broken Brain series, and he's certified by the Neural Leadership Institute and the Institute of Heart Math. That was a mouthful. Dr. Yasher Khosrowshahi, also known as Dr. K, is a friend and colleague. And if you like what you hear today, be sure to stick around to the end because I'll let you know then how you can access his free online visualization guide to help you along on your own leadership journey. As usual, we jump right in, so I hope you enjoy. When I heard your intro, I was very inspired, actually. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sincerely, I was. And so um, I would have said yes anyways. It just feels good to say yes now that I feel that much more excited about, <laughs> about like your your vision and what you're thinking I'm, I, I think you're onto something and I really really jive with it so yay for you yay well I'm really excited <laughs> to have you here I saw your TEDx talk all vibes welcome and I really enjoyed it and you talk in it you talk about some of the potentially negative effects of positive psychology and I wonder if you could share some of that here today it's interesting you use the word like the words positive psychology as like a as, as a discipline within psychology um, because there is a whole conversation around that Mm. Uh, how useful or is there a downside to positive psychology Um, I don't know if I want to tackle that first because I actually have a lot of respect for positive psychology Mm -hmm. and just like any tool depends on how you're using it and when you're using it Mm -hmm. but I would comment on the idea that um, if only we're focusing on trying to exude positivity, then we, by default, have to deny, quote unquote, what are negative or challenging emotions. Mm-hmm. And we have to, or we have to quickly move through them versus maybe keep some space for them to be present and to teach us or enlighten us about something about ourselves or our situation. And so I think that's the dangerous part. And the, in the TED Talk, I go definitely into the idea that I did that. And if I'm not careful, I can fall into that default again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I, I think I've built a bit more of an inventory. Uh, uh, and so I can slow that conversation down in my own mind and, and not fall victim to it mm-hmm. uh, as often. Well, I think sometimes there's mixed messages because there's in the positive psychology dialogue, I know that there often is space made for so-called difficult emotions. However, it seems to always, happiness is always marketed at us. And even these spaces that talk about this and talk about the full spectrum of emotions is always pitched to us as find happiness or build your happiness or, you know, retrieve joy or what have you. And so there's really a mixed messaging in it, I find. And, and, I, think, and I think where I defend positive psychology is 
I think my major takeaway from that field of research is we all have strengths mm-hmm. and we can apply our strengths to the things that are hard in life. Mm-hmm. That's my, I don't know if even if it's a spin, but that's my thesis. That's my takeaway. And so therefore I do often enjoy what positive psychology has to say. However, when it comes to the marketing channels, I agree with you. It's very much happiness related um, where I think the, the really what, we're trying to talk about is fulfillment yeah. and, and purpose uh, and, and passion in life. And it, it, is, it is confusing for, for the average individual who's just kind of maybe being marketed to or, or maybe working through a lot of tough emotions and, and wanting to move in the direction of feeling more positivity in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, because we also have a society that is very much stuck on a hedonic treadmill you know, always trying to feel good and what's the next thing to feel good. And so it does it becomes like a very confusing thing where which, which part of these conversations belong to me and which parts don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, I think there's, there's a lot that we can learn from it, but again, we have to slow down the conversation and really at the end of the day, make it individualized, mm-hmm. which which is not going to happen in the social media world, in the, in the you know, snippet world, in the 30 seconds. Come on, give me something that I can remember and, and, and say uh, back to myself in moments of distress. Like it's just, that's not the way we grow. That's not the way we evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we want it done faster and easier when often it's slower and a little bit more challenging. Yeah. And I, I really like that you sort of swap out the words. It's amazing how language subtleties in language can be so impactful. So rather than happiness, looking for fulfillment or purpose or passion, and those things can encompass the full range of emotion, right? They're not leaving anything out. Yeah, because I could could give you a a lollipop and make you happy in the moment, (laughs) but are you fulfilled? Right. Right. Fulfillment being the definition of putting effort and time and energy towards something that's meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. So I can I can make you happy quite often, mm-hmm. but I I can't make you fulfilled. Only you can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and so I think when we're looking for happiness, um, we skip over the deeper fundamental um, engagements of our emotions in our lives. And the things that we want to sit with and, and feel a sense of purpose and belonging. Mm-hmm. And, and so, again, happiness works really, really well uh, for, for like a short-term sprint, but it's definitely not the marathon of life. Right, right. So what inspired you to give that talk, the TEDx talk? Yeah, I can't take full credit for it because um, I think I, well, obviously I wanted to give a TEDx talk or I wouldn't have applied. Um, And I knew I wanted to do it in the realm of mental health and emotional well-being and mental strength and all of that. But then my first couple of drafts ended up being more, I would say, like university lectures. (laughs) And and I I was lecturing about these topic matters. And, and I knew that I had to tell a story and I knew the story that I was trying to, you know, portray without actually using the details of that story until 
the, a draft was read by um, the speaking coach that everyone gets when you get accepted. And I thought the speaking coach would be like, stand like this and speak like that. But he ended up being more of a writing coach. Hmm. And credit goes to him for saying, what are you not telling me in this, oh. in this draft? Interesting. Yeah. He's like, you're telling me something, but you're not saying it. Mm. Tell me what you're not saying. Mm. And as soon as he said that, yeah, very, very, very astute. As soon as he said that, I was like, I know exactly the story. And that's my job. And the tables have been turned. (laughs) And you just caught me in my own, you know, in my own um, denial. Um, So I told him and he's like, that's the story you need to tell then. And that took me, that was about, I think, six weeks until showtime. So it was like, oh boy, here we go, roller coaster. And I remember when I was doing a dry run with my sister and her husband on on Zoom, um, and I got to the point where I was speaking about this stuff, I actually broke down and started crying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how am I going to do this in front of people and on the internet and all that? But that became, sorry, go ahead. You were sharing a very intimate story. Yeah, I was sharing a, a moment in time uh, where I was alone in my car in an empty parking lot late at night when my wife and newborn baby were asleep at home and my wife didn't know where I was. And uh, I, I essentially felt like a failure. Um, and all the things I tried to do and all the accomplishments on paper that I had succeeded in were not enough uh, for me to... Um, feel fulfilled as mm-hmm. as we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. and so i yeah I, had, I just in a spur of the moment i had hot tears running down my face and i just grabbed onto my neck and started squeezing and it was like the first time i ever did anything like that where it was it was very deliberate and and i didn't really feel like stopping that act um it scared me of course and it woke me up at the same time mm-hmm. and so uh the 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 ted talk is about that journey, um, about, you know, how I got there and, and ultimately how I got through and what I've learned from, from that. But prior to telling that story, uh, only my wife and my sister knew of that story. So it was like going from two people that I trust wholeheartedly with my entire life to everyone. And so that was in six weeks. And so that was a, that was a, uh, a big jump for me. I think obviously it helped that the story was about years prior. Um, so the six weeks wasn't since that happened, but it was my decision to make it happen. So ultimately I, I convinced myself to do it because one, I respect that stage and the people who have graced that stage. So I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I also brought what I think they brought, which is honesty and authenticity. And, and the other part of it really, really probably deep in myself, my, my core, I wanted to no longer hold that, what I felt was a skeleton, you know, working in healthcare, working in a performance optimization, um, you know, accomplishing whatever I did prior to that. It just all felt like a little bit of a fake or a farce. Uh, because I had this story that no one knew about. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of that was like, this is my chance to really like open that closet, let the skeletons out or let the dragon out and slay, slay the dragon and, and, and kind of do the opposite of what that story made me feel, which was stay quiet about it is, you know, tell everyone and then see what happens. So what was it like for you once 
you know, it, it was done and it was out there and it was public. Did your feelings around it change? Um, I almost, almost in some ways don't recognize the person I'm even telling the story about. Um, so I think that was an interesting piece that I, I didn't expect to happen. It didn't disconnect me from the story in the sense that the lessons are very pure and, and, and present. But that version of the person who was scared of that story, I just, I can't find him. Um, and that, that, that caught my attention in the most positive way. And also, I got a lot of messages from people who, who said it was helpful. And that's, that's why we do what we do, right. right? Like in any capacity of service is for, you know, for others. And so just to hear or read some of those messages is like, why wouldn't I have done this earlier? But again, I know that I had to come to it on my own terms and my own time, but that was really nice to, to, to have as well. And then finally, it, it just gave me a chance to heal that part of me, again, somewhat on my own terms. Um, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, it, no one forced me into that story, right? I, I knew in my being what that story was about. And I knew I wanted to make it my time to tell that story. Right. So that's a really important part because a lot of people have stories that they're not ready to share and that's totally okay. Or not ready to share in that kind of public form. I think I was ready. I was scared, which is natural and normal. And so, yeah, there's a lot of personal lessons that definitely came through. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also so interesting to hear the response you had, you know, to, to, share your pain so openly and then to feel differently dramatically differently afterwards where you almost didn't recognize that person and then to hear back how it was so helpful from everyone i think that's really incredible that by sharing that and by going through that yourself like you went through that journey and you right you have to be ready and you had to be ready to be there and do that on your own terms and yet it's still so impactful to other people on their journeys yeah. And, you know, um, it's almost like I do say in the TED talk, I had to take my own medicine in a major way. And, and, you know, at mind shift, we, we, we always say that, you know, you actually, the truth is leadership is you lead yourself and you influence others. And, and that was my chance to be a leader of my own life in a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't have maybe been um, surprised because when you do lead yourself through difficult situations and you do it with, with compassion and you do it with grace and understanding, you're ultimately going to influence other people because we all as humans have our own story. The details may be different, but the emotions are inevitably very foundational and very fundamental to our experience. Um, and so I didn't know it at the time. But I, I was, I was taking, I was taking a major leap in leadership in that moment. And, and so um, I'm, all, yeah, well, eternally grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, well, absolutely. You were modeling an example of how to go through something so challenging and difficult in a way that most people try to avoid, you know, we put up walls, we don't want to feel that it's really, really hard. It doesn't feel good to, to feel that pain, you know, but you're showing people how it's possible to experience it and come out the other side, right? Yeah. And, and, and I guess the, the, the inkling um, of, you know, that to be really honest again, the inkling of like, what if those feelings come back again? Does that mean this is all a farce? And that, 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 that's repetitive where now 
where I said, no, you, you like, you did it once you understood it and you apply the same tools. And so uh, it's the self coaching aspect of like, I could, I could just catch the narration right. uh, uh, much more quickly. Um, and that old thinking of, Oh no, what if I do that again is probably the original thinking of, Oh no, what if people know me? Right. Right. It's so I can, I can, I can nuance that conversation within right. myself, um, which, uh, you know, I would hope gives me an opportunity to, to evolve further in my own understanding of my own psychology. Uh, and then therefore, of course, holding space for others to do the same. Right. Cause going through it, you can show yourself that you can experience despair and, and really, really difficult things and process them in your way. Right. And so I think to tell yourself, as you said, to tell yourself that you would never have that kind of experience again would be misleading and potentially paralyzing to go through it again. But now you've had an experience where you, you've, you've been through it, you've been there, experienced it fully. And so you know that if something like that shows up again, you have that little nudge, that little tidbit to know, okay, it may not be the exact same thing. It may not be the exact same source, but I know that I will survive. Right. And I suppose, right, that that turns back um, to the concept of what is confidence? What is what is confidence? And um, I joke when when people say to me, uh, you know, well, I need, you know, I need to work on my confidence, or I need more confidence. And, and I joke, I'm like, uh, I, I, I doubt that. And like, what do you mean? And I say, well, confidence is just intense trust in yourself or the the, the patterns that you exhibit. And so, um, I bet you have really a strong level of trust in how you'll exhibit, you know, uh, your behavior in a certain situation. Mm -hmm. And so I give the silly example of like, if you and I would always go out for drinks Friday night, um, and drinks can be whatever drink you want, we'll call it tea in this situation. And, and I show up half an hour late every single time you have confidence that I'll show up late. But if I show up, you know, 15 minutes early and get your favorite drink and it's sitting there at the perfect temperature right when you arrive, <laughs> then you have confidence that I would do that. It's just the patterned behavior. Mm. So in, when people say I need more confidence, I say, no, you need more positive confidence that you'll behave in a way that you're be most proud of. And trust, you, you mentioned. The trust. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, have, you have intense trust in how you'll behave. But, you, but right now, you have intense trust that you'll behave in a way that you're not most proud of yourself or you're not feeling most yeah. aligned with your values. Yes. So that brings me to my next question for you. That's a great segue because we, and I have talked, you're inactive as a naturopathic doctor right now. Yes. Um, but you and I in the past have talked about working with clients on a, a deeper level, trying to understand what motivates them to change or where they're stuck and, and working with them on that deeper level to meet them where they're at really, because often people will come and say they want a, but then are not really interested in doing any of the, the personal work to move themselves towards A. But what do you think gets in the way most of the time? Yeah, so uh, I think first and foremost, practitioners of any kind, mm -hmm. you know, I would even say the same for me now as, a, as an executive coach, it's the same mm -hmm. thing. It's how clear are you and the person across from you on the type of conversation that you want to have or you're about to have. So if you run a practice and it's very much focused on functional medicine and supplementation and IVs and all that, that's cool. And I'm sure you do a lot of amazing work. 
if you're not priming the conversation or the space for the client or the patient to enter into that vulnerability, enter into that space of what's different this time, then it's not, it's not necessarily um, going to work out if that's, the, if that's the change you're hoping that they're going to make. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the first place I would start. It's like the, it's it's on the practitioner's shoulders to mm-hmm. be very clear on the type of conversation that they're going to have with their client. And I would give a quick example of I had this lady, middle age, wanted to lose fifteen pounds, and and she said, "I'm coming to your office to lose those fifteen pounds." And I said, "Great. What what do you think you need?" And she said, "Well, I just need to know what to eat." And I said, "That's it." And she said, "Yep." I said, "Okay." And, and I gave her my handout and I said, don't pay for the initial, save your money and save your time. And, and here's the handout I normally give on what foods work and what foods don't as an initial kind of starting to, to cleanse the diet. And she looked at me blankly and I said, oh, is there more for us to talk about? <laughs> and she said, uh, yes. And I said, there is. Okay, what is that then? <laughs> and then she started crying and she started talking about her relationship with herself and the people around her and the history of, of weight loss and all that. Now, I'm cutting through the story quickly, so I want to I want to be very careful and, and mention that um, I was trying to be careful with with respecting her reality and her comfort within the pace I was pushing on her. I wasn't trying to you know dismiss, but I was trying to have her see that she's dismissing her own healing. Mm. But my, my practice was designed for that conversation, mm-hmm. right? And so, so we, 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 we went through that. And with that then comes, if you are opening up space, if you are holding space, if you are deliberate about the conversation of, of what is happening within the individual, then you have to ask yourself, do you truly believe that the person across from you has the answer to their own challenges? Do you trust fully in the person across from you? Because as I always say, I've never met someone who didn't have the answer to their own problems or their own questions. I've only met people who have denied and dismissed the answers that do come up for them. But if I go into all of this thinking that I am the guru, I am the savior, I am the God, I am the doctor that knows it all, I will not leave space for that individual to fill in with their own genius and how often do people get a chance to be observed in that type of dialogue, to yeah. be spotted in that type of dialogue? And so that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the third thing is if those are set in place and you genuinely feel like you're doing that as, as, a, as a provider, then uh, maybe a, a crude way of saying this, but you can only lead a horse to water. You can't force mm-hmm. it to drink. And so as a, as a practitioner, as a coach, um, I'm always checking in and asking, am I working harder than the person across from me? Because then I become a cheerleader and not a coach. Then I become this raw, raw kind of, we can do this as opposed to, you can do it, sit here with me, let's take a breath, let's go where we need to go to do the work you know you want to do. Again, I'm hearing this theme of trust and I'm reflecting back on this notion that change can be difficult and for people to be okay with that they have to trust that they are safe to experience it yes look we we all want to feel safe 
We all want to be respected. We all want to be heard, um, which ultimately boils down to I'm worthy. And so I think a lot of my time now is spent on a intrapersonal relationship. So the personal relationship the person has with themselves. Uh, a lot of my earlier days were spent, uh, you know, discussing the interpersonal side mm-hmm. of things. But now, uh, again, with the work we do with leaders at MindShift, it's it's you lead yourself first. So we spend much of the early parts of the conversation with with learning how to have that conversation with yourself, learning how to have a, a transformative self coaching conversation. Um, and then once we are feeling grounded in that type of, oh, look, I'm having that type of conversation that doesn't serve me. How do I change it to what can serve me? Then we start applying it to how do you lead others? Um, but again, in our society, we're very much a alpha personality, like go get it done and you show the way. And, and honestly, please, everybody listening, like take the moment to have the conversation with yourself. Don't talk to anyone else. Talk to yourself. Figure that out first. And when I say don't talk to anyone else, I don't mean uh, don't speak to a professional if you need that. I mean, don't go around professing. Mm-hmm. Right? Just, just take a moment with your own thoughts, with your own confusion, and also with your own wins. Take a moment to decipher and dissect what's going on within you prior to trying to change anything about anyone else or yourself for that matter. I'm almost harping on this right now because it's such a, it's such a beautiful space, I think, for each of us to be in. And if I or you or anyone else can hold that space as a leader, meaning a parent, meaning a teacher, meaning a community leader, meaning a CEO of a multinational company, it doesn't matter. As a leader means to step into your own self, understand yourself, and then provide space for others to do the same. If we can have that conversation, um, not only are we doing wonders for ourselves, but we're also doing wonders for everyone around us. Thank you for giving that definition of a leader because I was also considering the idea that, as you said, our society and our culture can often promote or uh, favor, you know, that alpha rah, rah, rah type up in front of the large room, um, motivating leader. But I really appreciate your change in the definition there that it's, you can still, that leadership doesn't necessarily mean that kind of leader, because I question that everybody, that society needs only that type of leader, right? right? That we are all different, we have different gifts to offer, and we lead in different ways. And I really appreciate that you bring it back to the self, you know, not in a self-absorbed kind of way, but in a really important way that shows that the value of understanding yourself and turning inward and spending some time there before going outward or projecting outward. Right. The, the easiest way I think for us to even understand this is if you hired a personal trainer that was out of shape and ate McDonald's every day, I would question your desire to get in shape, right? It's not about a body shaming thing or an image thing. It's about the the effort, the work, the understanding of the discipline that you are hiring someone to teach you. It, it's the same when it comes to 
to personal development. It's the same when it comes to professional development. It's the same when it comes to, can I evolve into the version of me that I'm most proud of? And what are the tools that I could practice to remind myself of my genius, of my leadership, of what we call like your best leader, the version of you that you're most capable and proud of. And if you hire somebody who doesn't do that work, that's, I think that's silly. Would you hire an orthopedic surgeon who's never done surgery? So why in this space? Why in our emotional space? Do we think, you know, we just have to hire the person that does it with one gear? No, there's multiple gears in, in the human psyche. And so we have to be uh, aware of what gear we need to be in at what time for what reason. Yes, I love that. The solitude, understanding where you're at in your own cycles, you know, and, and without judgment, but watching yourself so that you can have that better understanding moving through things. And I wonder, you as a coach and as a leadership coach, you know, you shared this story in your talk and you've shared your personal journey. Um, and in that way, you are modeling leadership. And it was not an easy process from what you've told me, right? There was definitely some growing pains through that process. Sure. So in your opinion, is there a role for pain or discomfort in health? Yeah, I, I think I think at the you know the start of the pain conversation is that it just grabs your attention. Yeah, like that's just the beginning of it. Now, what you do with that goes into the conversation we're just having. So, I think pain is such a fascinating thing because it could ignite you and it can also just shut you down. And sometimes shutting down is appropriate and sometimes ignition is appropriate. And it's not always a very clear answer. And so maybe that's the first lesson in it is going back to what we just said. How do you know then what's the quote unquote right answer for you at that moment? And the only way to know is to gain more experience by working through it, by understanding it, by changing the narrative from what your patterned thought process is, by building that inventory, by building a tool set, by building a embodied experiential understanding of who the heck you are and how the heck you want to show up and can show up. And the version of you that only ignites with pain and pushes through it and never stops, I think can be just as detrimental yeah. as a version of you that always shuts down and this moment a pinprick hits you. And those are extremes and extremes are never really sustainable. <laughs> So I have an athlete who's learned to push through the pain and all of that, and they, they've accomplished a lot in their domain of expertise. So they can turn around and say, well, what are you talking about, coach? Like, that's silly. Like, I brought me all the way here. So the nuanced conversation then is like, what is your ultimate goal and why? So for the average individual, when I say average, I don't mean like average as in like your, your psychology or your ability. I mean, for the general public who are probably not on the on that field pushing beyond, you know, a physical pain. And, and you're, you're, you're kind of doing your nine to five, whatever that looks like in COVID land right now, but mm -hmm. you're doing your nine to five, you have parental duties, maybe, maybe you have bill stress, maybe you're, you're eating more than you normally do or not exercising as much as you used to, or, or, or feeling like everything is coming down on you. The conversation is like, what is this awakening you to? What is your purpose and your goal for bringing this pain in and having a conversation with it. And, and that helps guide your response. 
Well, I, I, I think it would, because if, if someone said, you know, the, my purpose is to be a great parent and I'm yelling at my child every day, it's like, okay, so what anxieties, what pains, what fears are you not metabolizing or processing that bring you to a state that you're, you're acting as a version of you that you're not most proud of, right? It's, it's, it's breaking it down. And I'm just, I'm just making it very basic in the sense that I don't want to yell at my child every day, mm -hmm. right? I just want to start there. Make that assumption. Yeah, yeah. Just right yeah. off the hop, <laughs> right off the hop that your yeah. solution. And then it doesn't uh, to, feel good to you afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Positive parenting to you is not yelling at my child every day. Right. And then you find yeah. yourself yelling. And then the question becomes, okay, you can deny the pain and blame your child. You mm -hmm. can deny the pain and blame society. You can deny the pain and blame the bills. Mm. Or we can take the courageous step and ask, what within me is not aligned? What within me is not feeling fulfilled? And then what do I have my self-awareness and my accountability muscles to work on? And that's the conversation that, again, I can do it you know, uh, with you as if we're speaking to someone, but it just is not as fruitful, obviously, right. of having that conversation with the individual. Of course. Yeah, well, it, it leads me to want to ask you, why did you choose to go inactive as a naturopathic doctor? Um, it was, it was again, years coming. Um, but my, my practice, I've been very, very lucky in, in practice because I worked with a whole slew of individuals, again, from athletes to end of life care for a, a good chunk of time. Uh, I was doing integrative cancer care. And I always say, when you, when you put a needle in someone's vein, you either get the people who are really sick or the people who want to perform at very high levels. That's, that's usually what happens. And when I was two extremes. Yeah, the two extremes, exactly. And when I was when I was treating these individuals on these extremes, um, oftentimes I would hook them up to a intravenous uh, a treatment, and it's anywhere from twenty minutes to two hours. And I would sit with them and just discuss life. And I was always fascinated with how the details could vary, but the the conversation inevitably came down to one thing, and that was how much does each individual have a understood relationship of themselves with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It comes down to connection, right? Connection's a big word right now yeah. in terms of well-being. Like we need connection with each other, but I think what's often neglected, which you're bringing attention to here is our connection with ourselves. And these days there's very little space to allow for even tapping into that. Yeah, no, that's it. Right. And, and, and then to take a step further, many of the people that were also sick and maybe not with cancer, but just other chronic um, illnesses uh, would come from uh, obviously workspaces or corporate life. And, and when I would ask them, you know, what's, what's the main issues you're working through? A lot of it would come back to your word connection. It would, mm -hmm. my leader is this, my boss is that, my manager or the work environment is toxic and all of this. And I, so I had this really two-pronged approach in my mind where I was like, one, I'm absolutely fascinated with the psychology of showing up to life. And, and so, you know, as a health psychology teacher, I'm, I'm, I'm still involved in that aspect. But so I was having that conversation with myself. And then the, the other part of it is, am I, really, uh, am I really participating in preventative medicine if these people are always sick coming to my office? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if, 
if we want to be high performers and we want to have a team, whatever that team looks like corporate or on the court, you know, like whatever that is, and we need to have these better relationships and connections with ourselves and each other, then what if I became an executive coach and, Mm -hmm. and took the, you know, the brain sciences and psychology and mindfulness techniques and strategic planning and put it all together. And, and so that conversation was happening within my mind. And then I was having a conversation with my sister, who's uh, the other half of MindShift. And she was about to take another coaching course. And we were just chatting. And I, you know, one thing, you know, uh, led to another, she says, I, I, I forced her into taking the course with me. Mm-hmm. I think she made the right decision. And, and so we took the course together. And she, her background is 15 plus years in, in project management and consulting and primarily um, in, in social justice fields, her, her, her master's is in uh, human rights. Uh, and so she was doing a lot of that work. And what she was recognizing is the patterns that make certain teams successful, other teams not successful. And she was answering it from a managerial, from a leadership standpoint, from that aspect. Mm-hmm. And I was answering the question from a intrapersonal, who are we, mm-hmm. how do we show up individually? And then we realized as we're going through the course, having no intention of starting a company together that we're actually solving the same problem with two sides of the same coin. A great and, company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. as we say, we, we blend the best of medicine and management to help people lead better by thinking better. That's really cool. Yeah, because yes. sometimes we have, and one of the naturopathic tenets or the principles is you know, to treat the root cause. And I find often when I'm working with someone, I can try to zoom out, zoom out, zoom out to see you know, the root cause. And it can easily become overwhelming if you start to see cultural and societal influences on health. And then as well, going in, 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 you know, treating the root cause often comes down to these conversations that you're having where it, it can be very helpful to make the space and the time to sit with oneself and feel everything that's coming up. I really appreciate what you just said because the three tenets that we think you know leadership must prioritize is inclusion, mental health, and then performance optimization. And so inclusion could be the the micro level and the macro level mm-hmm. that you just discussed, mm-hmm. right? For the individual and then for the collective. And mental health, again, the same mm-hmm. for the individual and the collective. Yeah. And then ultimately when those are stacked in a way that makes sense for the majority of the collective, then performance will be optimized and, and we're doing better. And to kind of bring a full circle to the conversation we just had about the, the TEDx talk, you know, the tool that I was sharing essentially uh, was self-compassion and how we, we kind of overlook self-compassion as a really fundamental and powerful performance tool. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And again, I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I want, I want to, you know, uh, get bleep done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I, I want that in my life, but I want it in a sustainable way. I want it in a more yeah. elegant way. I want to have that conversation in a nuanced and evolved and enlightened way mm-hmm. and self-compassion by far out of all the tools that I have researched and looked into gratitude is a close uh, second, mm-hmm. but, but really self-compassion builds gratitude within it too. Right. We have to start looking outside of the very traditional way of having these conversations. And there is no performance optimization, not sustainably, if we don't look deeper, again, inclusion and mental health have to fall into that. Well, I work a lot with parents and educators. And so generally speaking, caregivers, And there's a lot of conversations about self-care and what that looks like. And I feel like more and more I'm starting with self-compassion as a foundation for self-care. 
and that self-love. But I've also had other conversations where people come back when it comes to self-compassion. What stops people from using that as sort of an excuse to get out of accountability? They're not practicing self-compassion. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> self-compassion is very, very clear once you learn truly what self-compassion is. It's essentially you're putting yourself in a psychological and physiological state, so thinking and feeling, that prepares you to take deliberate and empowered action. Because by the tenet of self-compassion, you are mindful to what's happening, so you're becoming aware. Mm-hmm. So you're not simply road roadrunner, you know, you're just like slowing down and becoming mindful. You're recognizing that you, like every other human, has moments of failure and pain and inadequacy and challenge. And limits. We're not immortal. And, and, and thank you for saying limits, because yeah. most often the people who need more self-compassion are the people who are actually trying to push the limits. That's and it. I love you for it. Yeah. I love you for it. You're doing something outside of your comfort zone, which I think is great. You're, 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 you're pushing, which is awesome. However, with that definition comes the actuality that you're going to fall and scrape your knees. It's just built into the definition. When you push limits, you fail. That's how you learn. Again, when it comes to muscles, we love it. Like, you know, push the failure or push, push the stress on that muscle to a certain point. So it adapts. Well, why not psychologically? Usually the people who are pushing are actually the ones who need this more because you're actually making that change. But just like your muscle in psychological terms, it's the same where you want to stress or a stretch, sorry, not a strain, right? You don't want to pull mm-hmm. the muscle. Mm-hmm. You want to test the muscle. You want to strengthen the muscle. Same with psychologically. You want to be able to push to a point where you're like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling the challenge. I'm feeling the, the opportunity and not to the place where you just like crumble and, and, and freeze. So the third part to self-compassion is then the languaging, the way you would speak to someone you truly cared for, right? How would you, how would you acknowledge that individual, a grandmother, a grandfather, a spouse, a child, your dog, your cat? How would you address someone or something that you deeply, deeply cared for? And they were going through a similar situation, right? So all of that in the brain is challenging work. It's deliberate work. There's no automatic nature in the brain that will say, oh yeah, Yasha is going through pain. And you know what, you know, Yasha, I love you. It's okay. Let's go, you know, write in this journal and, and dialogue how amazing you are and why you're going to be able to come back tomorrow stronger. There's no part of your brain that wants to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so self-compassion by definition, again, builds in, you have to take deliberate and empowered Mm. action so that you step into the version of you that you're most proud of. It's like going to the gym. You're going to have to get to work. Right. And I I think that also implies what you were mentioning before, the idea of having an understanding, the context of what your purpose is and what gives you fulfillment, because you can push through, you know, on a small scale to win that race or what have you, but you can't operate at that intensity for life without coming up against some major barriers. Right, exactly. And, you know, people say, well, that sounds so selfish. Well, I won't even argue with you whether it is or isn't. But I would say, again, what's your purpose? Well, I I have a family. I need to take care of my family and so on and so forth. Great. So how well do you think you'll do that? Right? So don't be so selfish. Take some time off. 
Totally. It's a big, it's a, it's a big conversation, right? For many caregivers, particularly. I mean, everyone, I suppose it's just also because one of the things in addition to alpha type and go-getters and all that kinds and outgoing people that our society or our culture tends to favor is productivity and the opposite of <laughs> taking vacation, <laughs> right? It's, it's go, go, keep producing, keep making, don't slow down. You're lazy if you stop to rest. Uh, and there's no, you, you don't contribute to society, right? Like what value do you have as a member of our society if you are taking that pause? I think that's a lot of the messaging, unfortunately, because it doesn't create a sustainable culture of collaboration and connectivity. Right. But here's my argument again. I'm with you. Let's be productive. Let's get bleep done. I'm with you. Let's like do something interesting and hard and challenging. But when you think of the way we need to do that in a sustainable manner, we need to come from a place of clarity of who we want to be, the version of us that we want to be, the reasons we want to be that version of ourselves, deep, deep reasons, not just because I have a family. So what? Tell me deeper reasons. And we want to come from a place where our nervous system is not fried. That's the only way, right? That's the only way we work. Again, people say, uh, you know, look at these athletes. Yeah, you know, majority of them sleep like 12 to 16 hours a day, pregame naps and, and, and sleep-ins and all of that. If you're an average parent, you're not doing that. <laughs> I feel like everybody I know has a fried nervous system these days. Yeah. And so the question isn't like, you know, and this is why like self-compassion gets like this, oh, like bubble bath and glass of wine kind of thing. Right. Which, which it, it, it's, such, it's such a preliminary step into valuing your health. So I'm not going to poo-poo it, but it's not the deep work. And the deeper the challenge, the deeper the work, right? So that, that, that's helpful, but it's not it. But even at that level, ask yourself three questions. How can I access joy, love, or rest today or right now? If you want to move in the direction of honoring your nervous system to get the things that you value most done, then, then don't take you know, a week off. What can you do to access joy, rest, or, or love? For some people, it's breathing exercises. For some people, it's walks. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's just music and dancing in the kitchen. For some people, it's give me 10 minutes alone. I don't know. For some people, it is sleep. For some people, it's a hardcore workout. I don't know, but that's the point. I don't need to know. You need to know. And you need the only way you know that is when you take a minute to be within yourself, to feel mm -hmm. it. And I think, oh. I think a lot can happen in, in 10 minutes. You know, yeah. people say, I don't have any time. Yeah. I'm sure you have 10 minutes. A lot can happen. What are you going to do with those minute. 10 minutes? A lot can happen in one minute. We were joking, we were joking before this, like you're, you're one breath away from spiritual <laughs> enlightenment. <laughs> like a lot can happen a lot in a short period of time, but you must be consistent and clear on what those minutes are for. Intentional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Dr. K, what is your definition of health? My definition of health has drastically shifted over the years. So much so that I'm still working on how I truly want to answer this question. You can, you can give the evolution, if that's easier, with an understanding that it's an evolving process. Yeah, well, I think, I think it very much was a very physical in nature definition originally with lip service towards the emotional. And then at this point, it's... It's neither physical nor emotional, but both only 
under the category of fulfillment, meaning only if I am doing what I'm doing for the deeper purposes of my being, what I feel like I'm here to do. So I, it's almost like a hierarchy now for me, where if I can step into the connection of me as a human that honors love and connection first, then whatever I am doing, it's healthy. So mm -hmm. if I go to the gym, and if this has happened to me, that's what I can speak to. If I go to the gym and prioritize the gym and have these bulging muscles, but I cannot connect and love my wife or my child or my clients or my neighbors, then I am completely unhealthy. I lift a fraction of what I used to, but I live my days with connection, love, joy, excitement, and deep fulfillment in the relationships and my day-to-day -day occurrences, then I'm much more healthy than the other version of me that I just described. So I think for me, it always starts with how deeply connected am I to myself and to the people around me? And then everything else are just the details that I get to wake up and ask myself, what's for breakfast, right? I get to ask myself, what today? Like I just said, how do I access joy? How do I access movement? And that definition is one that I'm very, very new to for myself because I was very regimented. I was very goal-oriented. I was very, you know, get stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, and I always went to physical exercise as my therapy and, and, and my definition of health. And now it's nothing. You, you, health does not exist if there's no connection within myself and with the people in my immediate circle in a valuable, meaningful way. So what would you say to people who, who feel like they don't know what their purpose is or what is fulfilling? I would say, I bet you do, mm -hmm. because you definitely know what you don't like. So what's the opposite? We're so used to focusing on the, on the stuff that doesn't work for us that sometimes we crowd out the things that do. Sometimes with clients, when they don't know what their passion, purpose, or their desires are, or at least they feel like they don't, mm -hmm. I get them to like make a laundry list of the things that they don't want in their life. Okay. Tell me everything you don't want then. And then I go one by one. What's the opposite of the first one, the second one, the third one, the 10th one. Mm -hmm. And now look, do you have a list of things you do want? And it's like almost laughable. Uh -huh. in a very playful way, right? Uh -huh. Like we're just laughing in that moment, but it's like, we've just crowded out, you know, the, the, the neurons that fire towards pleasure because we've rehearsed other things. And it's arguably, like you said, it's not, our, our brain isn't made to focus on our things, right? For survival, our brain is made to give a little bit more emphasis on the things that don't work so that we can adapt and survive. Right. So it makes sense that you need to take that time and that energy and that intention to focus on those other things that will lead you in a a direction that you want to go instead of away from something you're trying to avoid. Totally. And part of that also comes with what we talked about earlier again is, are you willing to do things and, and, and quote unquote fail at them, right? Like what I'm doing in the business I have now and the amount of fulfillment I feel in this business now at 38 was not the journey I signed up for when I was like 20 coming out of university, going into, um, sorry, going into university and then going into medical school. Like I was going to be the guy who runs on the field and takes care of a broken leg of that athlete who just fell. So like to be in a leadership development, to be in coaching and this, like what? And if you told me that when I was 20, I'd be like, uh, you got the wrong guy, but I'm insanely fulfilled with this job. But you heard the story, right? Like I, I, there were moments where I was going to you know, figuratively and perhaps literally drive off the cliff. I don't know. I don't have a magic solution or, 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 or answer to any of this. I just know what works for me and the clients I work with who do the work. And that is slow down, 
pay attention and decide to have a relationship with yourself that is worthy of everything you want to have or believe you want to have at that time. Take the time to to respect your the relationship with yourself and with others and, think, and go on the journey. I think another thing that I really appreciate about this definition is it includes the idea and the space for adaptation and evolution, right? It's not if you if you're constantly checking in and asking yourself that, you know, the question of is this engaging in something I find fulfilling, then it allows for the evolution. Yeah. And and even forgive me for like maybe slightly editing the question, yeah. but it's it's what about this brings fulfillment? Not does this, but what about this? And it might be a tenth of that experience. Okay, focus on that tenth. What about that tenth? Well, that's right? the, the gratitude practice, right? If you don't just say I'm just gratitude for something, but why? Like, what about it are you grateful for, or what right. is, what is it creating that is allowing you to feel grateful? And I want I want I want people to try this if they're if if they're uh, keen to pick anything you're grateful for. And just like you said, Lori, like answer the question, why am I grateful for that? So I'm grateful for my dog greeting me the way she does when I walk in after grocery shopping. You got treats in your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so why? What about it? What about that? Because uh, her, her sweetness and her joyful tale just make me excited. Why? What about that? Because it reminds me that, you know, even with all the craziness in the world right now, there are moments, there are pockets of pure just joy and purity and simplicity. Why? <laughs> what about that? And I challenge you to do that. And I, I would venture a guess through my experience personally and professionally, if you go down the why five to 10 times, what you'll end up coming to as an answer is I am worthy. I am loved. I am present. I am here. There's something worth it. And the other thing is worth this. It's worth this life. And so I think the more often you do that and the more often you realize it, then you can just like, as we all love, hack through it. Mm -hmm. The dog is wagging tail. Oh man, there's a reminder that I and it is worthy of this life. But you don't just say it as an affirmation. You say it as inventory because you did the work. You got there yourself. Mm. You didn't pick up a guru's book and says five times a day, say, I am worthy of this life. I am worthy of this. I am like, your brain's going to scream out bullshit. You haven't gone through the embodied experience. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been well, amazing. It's, it's part of the life I've led thus far. So I'm happy to share. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's been really great. So much to think about. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so happy. I'm so happy and uh, really, truly an, an honor to have this conversation with you. Wow, that interview left me with so much to contemplate. You can learn more about Yasher and MindShift Leadership at mindshiftleadership.com, where you can also inquire about one-on-one coaching and find out more about their online courses. If you are now inspired to figure out how to align yourself with the leader that already exists within you, you can visit the website for a free visualization and workbook that will help you get clear on who you are and how you want to show up in the world. And before I sign off, I want to leave you with this question inspired by today's conversation. I invite you to consider what uncomfortable obstacles you might actually be ready to embrace today that will allow you to evolve into the version of yourself that you are most proud of. If a friend or family member popped into your brain while you were listening today, go ahead and share the episode with them now. And if you listened this far, please, please take a moment to leave a review and be sure to subscribe to the Uncomfortably Human podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.